Awesome. Well, part two today of Overcoming Temptation. We're in the middle of a series called The Overcoming Life, which is a part of a larger year-long series called The Transformation Pathway. We've been talking about the fact that God wants to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about this, and he basically says, I'm not okay just leaving you the way you are. I want to transform you into something amazing. And that something amazing is to look like Jesus. That we actually go from from looking like just who we are to looking like who wants to look more like Jesus, act more like Jesus, live more like Jesus. It should be the goal of all of our lives. And God says, I'm going to make a way. There's a pathway and there's a process that I've committed myself, uh, committed to you, and I've given you the tools for for that, that process of transformation. A few weeks ago, we started talking about living an overcoming life. In the book of Deuteronomy, when the Israelites are coming out of Egypt, God says to them, listen, you've been slaves, you've lived in slavery, uh, you've not been a people, had your own identity, you've been told what to do, where to live. You know, All of these things have been dictated to you. He brings them through the Red Sea, and then in Deuteronomy, he starts telling them, listen, I've called you out for a reason. And you are no longer people who are under. You are people that are over. You are no longer the tail. You are the head. God says, I've put you ahead. He, he, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians that, that we are more than overcomers in Jesus Christ. That we can overcome the things of this world and the battles that we face on a daily basis. Every one of us, God says, I've given you an overcoming life. There's a little snapshot of where we are. Last week, we jumped into the, uh, into the first of these two messages on, on temptation. If you recall last week, if you weren't with us, listen to the sermon online. It's uh, at newcommunityfs.com. All of the messages are online. I encourage you, go and listen to that message if you didn't hear it last week, because it'll make today make even more sense. Not that today won't. If you didn't hear it, it'll, they're, they're good standalones, but they're also very good complementary. Overcoming temptation, I set the framework last week for this discussion, this conversation about temptation by talking about sin and our understanding what sin is. And we live in a world where, where when I think sin, I think I do something bad, right? From when you're a kid, the idea behind sin is I did something bad and that is sin. And it's true, that is a part of what sin is. We talked about two words, iniquity and trespass. And what most of us would define sin, and, sin as is trespass. When I cross the line, when I do something I'm not supposed to do, it's the action. What a lot of us don't deal with is, is, is the iniquity. It's the sin in us. It's the motivation to the action. And so we band-aid it. We, we take care of the action and, and take care of the action, and then take care of the action, and take care of the action over and over again. But we never deal with the root, with the iniquity. We read some scriptures about iniquity, how, how the psalmist writes, Lord, keep iniquity from me so that it doesn't master me, that it doesn't have control in my life. And if we give iniquity that place, if we allow sinful thoughts and sinful ways of thinking to be a part of our lives, we will never overcome temptation. It's that, that, that root, it's the start, it's the motivation. Now, that can sound a little discouraging, and I ended last week reading this per- passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 through 13, and it says this, So if you think, you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No tempt- temptation has seized No temptation has seized you except what is common to men. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. There's a way out. God has made a way that he's set in in front of us choices and and exit strategies and routes that we can follow. In fact, uh, James talks about the fact that when someone's tempted, no one should say, God's tempting me, because God doesn't tempt, nor can he be tempted. In fact, Satan is called the tempter. It's one of his names. 
God doesn't do that. But he will use those pressures in our lives to refine us just like the, the, the furnace and the crucible for gold and silver. God will allow those pressure things in our lives to, to refine us because every time I walk away from temptation and I say no, that there's a purifying work that takes place in my life and I become stronger. It's that confirmation process can be conformed to the image of Jesus. I want to, this morning, we're going to talk about some practical things, practical ways to overcome temptation. But I want to resist the urge, and I want you to resist the temptation to think that I'm just going to give you some kind of magic pill this morning and go, okay, if you do one, two, and three, you'll be good, right? If you've been in church for any amount of time, you know that that doesn't work. And in my study this week, the Lord started unlocking some things for me um, that I got really excited about. You can ask my wife and kids. I was, I was around the house just going, I can't. I was even like preaching the message to them in the car this morning because I'm so excited about the things. Because God, God started connecting some dots of things I've learned over the last 15 years for this message this morning. And so I'm going to take probably about 15 minutes or so and kind of set the, the, the foundation for our conversation. So my introduction, just so you know, my introduction will be probably about 15 minutes because I want to talk about a couple of topics that will help us understand, and then I'll move into some practicals, some things that we can do, some steps that we can take in, in fighting temptation. Does that sound good? Just so you kind of know where we're headed. Um, I want to do this first, though. Lord God, we just come before you this morning. We're just singing, Lord, we need you. We need you, Lord. Lord, I know this morning I'm excited about what you've put in my heart. And Lord, I know when I'm excited, I talk really fast and I trip over my words. But God, this morning I ask that there would be no distraction. God, that every word that needs to be spoken would be spoken. And Lord, that we would have receptive hearts to hear from you today. God, I pray this morning would be a morning of breakthrough for some in this place. Lord, that there would be understanding that would come, knowledge that would come this morning that would cause people to walk in freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we talked about knowledge, when we learn things, when we understand things. We talked about G.I. Joe. You guys remember that? At the end of G.I. Joe, that cartoon, they would have some kind of lesson Right, and then one of the you know one of the, the the GI Joes would say, "And now you know," and the response would be, "And knowing is half the battle." So part of what we're dealing with this morning is half the battle. It's half the battle. It's just the informational and and understanding part of it. And so it will sound a little bit like a lecture today, but bear with me. So I came across this video on Facebook. And most of what you see on Facebook is just really junk. But every now and again, there's a nugget, right? There's something you're like, oh, that's, that's awesome, right? And, and in fact, I, I brought this video to Megan. And I'm like, you've got to check this out. And she's like, okay, whatever, right? Um, and then she started watching it, and she's like, yeah, this is cool. I discovered this guy named Destin Sandlin. Destin Sandlin, he has a YouTube channel called Smarter Every Day. Highly recommend it if, if you, this is, this is Destin right here. Um, he's a believer. He's a, he's a scientist and an engineer. He actually is a rocket scientist, rocket engineer. Super smart guy. And he started doing this, this video blog called Smarter Every Day. And he just talks about science and he does experiments and stuff. And it's really cool. Well, one of the things that he came up with was this backwards bicycle. In fact, some of the guys at, at his work came up with this this bicycle mechanism, and they challenged him to ride it. What they did is they put this little gear. In fact, there's a little video we have that shows you how it works. So when you turn to the left, the wheel goes the opposite. It goes to the right. When you turn to the right, the wheel goes to the left. Okay. And in in this video, I, I wish I could show you the whole thing, but it's about ten minutes long, and we don't have that much time. Check it out, YouTube. Uh, backwards bicycle, Destin Sandlin. You can you can check that out. So so in this video, he says he makes a statement. He says, "I guarantee you can't ride this bike." See, because you're all sitting looking at it, going, "You know what? If I just think about it, I'll be able to get on it and ride it." 
And person after person tries to ride this bike, and they cannot ride this bicycle. See, because when we were little kids and we first learned to ride a bike, it starts getting ingrained in us how to ride a bike. And there's a process that happens in our brain that gets established, and we, we start thinking a certain way. This is how you ride a bike. You turn to the right, you go to the right. You turn to the left, you go to the left. And to unlearn that process is not an easy thing. In fact, Destin set out to, to learn how to ride this bicycle, and it took him practicing every day for at least five minutes. It took him eight months to learn to ride the bike. Eight months. And he could get on that bike and now he can ride it. He, can, he actually can cruise on it, go pretty fast. The amazing thing is after eight months, he got off that bike and got on a regular bike. And guess what? Couldn't ride the bike. Couldn't ride the bike. And it took him, now it didn't take him eight months to relearn that because the neuropathways that had been established earlier on just had to be reactivated. And it took a moment, there was a moment where that clicked and he was able to ride it again. Here's the cool part. He has a son who's five years old. This is his son. I have a picture of him. He thought, you know what? I'm going gonna, gonna to see how long it takes my son to ride a bike. And at this point, he'd been riding a bike for a couple, couple of three years. Started riding a bike really early. Took his son two weeks. Two weeks and he could ride the bike. In fact, he had promised his son, hey, if you learn to ride the bike, I'll take you to Australia with me when I go and lecture there. And his son ended up going to Australia. And there's a... There's actually a clip of them riding their two bicycles on a stage together. Um, Really amazing. And he makes a statement at the end of the video, and it says, listen, you have a bias. The way you see the world, you see the world through a lens, through a biased lens. You learn things a certain way that, that it shapes who you are, it shapes your thinking. And to unlearn things is really, really hard. It's really hard. So, so my brain is firing on this. I'm like geeking out. I'm thinking, this is way cool. Well, I start remembering a professor I had at Life, Life Bible College um, back in the day. And he was, I think it was Hebrews class. But this guy, I don't even remember his name. He, he was working on his third doctorate. He was an ER trauma surgeon who decided he wanted to go back to school and get a, I mean, a doctorate in divinity and he was doing his dissertation on the, 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 the sovereignty of God and the free will of man and how the two coexist physically in the human body. I'm like, wow. And we ended up spending, I don't think we even really talked about Hebrews much, but I remember the conversation. And he introduced us to something called synapses. Now, some of you are familiar with synapses. Some of you aren't. I want to throw a picture up here of what a synapse is. This is a synapse. This is the, the part of your brain of, that, that, that fires. There's electrical and a chemical process that happens. And it's this point where the synapse is, where your memory is stored. Every synapse in your brain uh, is, is triggered to remember a certain thing. So, so if I show you the color red, right? Sergio is wearing a red shirt right there. You look at that shirt and you see the color red. The synapse in your brain that's been trained that that's red is firing, right? Is that you guys tracking? And it's a chemical and electrical process. And as you're growing up and you're learning, right? That's why we have flashcards and cue cards for kids, right? Because we start learning, we start reinforcing these synapses. The more you use it, the stronger it gets, the easier it is to recall things. Well, he started talking about addiction, and how our synapses, when, when you're dealing with addictive behavior, and, and we all do to some degree or another. Now, there's a, there's clinically, there's conditions of, of, of addiction. But when we're talking about sin, we have an addiction to sin. We all have iniquity. And there's a par- part of us that's just wired, literally wired, to do our own thing. And so the synapses, right, if you're, let's say, say it's an addiction to alcohol, where the synapses start affecting each other and they start firing, and, and so now synapses start getting grouped together. So, so now I've had a stressful day, that synapse is firing, and then, and then there's a synapse that, that then fires along with it that says, I need a drink. 
And the more I reinforce those two together, the stronger they get. Now, understand, I'm dumbing this way down. And, and if you, like, are into this stuff and I say something that's off, just go for the heart, not for the letter, okay? Uh, uh, but this is the basics. Uh, I have a degree in Bible, not in anatomy and, and, and psychiatry or whatever, this neuroscience. But it, it's really, really fascinating. Here's the deal. The Bible says in Proverbs that we're to train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. And we read that and go, yeah, that's good. You should memorize the Bible. You should teach kids what to do. And God's going, no, 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 no. No, go back to the picture. Go back. What I'm saying, God says, is when a kid is young, like, this, like Destin's kid, two weeks to ride the bicycle, because there's this neuroelasticity that kids can learn languages, they can learn to ride bikes, they're, they're taking in tons of information, and it sticks. Why? Because their synapses are still like just flexible, and they can take it in. God says, I designed that. This was my idea. So train up a child in the way he should go. Why? Because I want to establish neural pathways in a child's brain that will last for the rest of their lives. Isn't that cool? I mean, I'm like geeking out on this. This is so... See, because it helps us to understand Scripture in a different light. See, because when we come to temptation, what we want to do is we just want to say, stop it. Just stop sinning. Bob Newhart years ago had a skit on Saturday Night Live. He was a psychiatrist who charged five bucks, right? And, and uh, I, I don't have the video because we just don't have the time. Go check it out. Person comes in, and he says, five minutes, I'll fix whatever you have going on, and I'll only charge you five bucks. And she's like, well, what if it takes longer? He goes, it won't. So she t- tells him his fear, and, and he goes, okay, I'm going to say two words, and, and you just need to listen to these words. And she goes, okay. And he goes, stop it. Just stop it. That's silly. Right? What's wrong with you? Just stop it. It doesn't work that way. Why? Because our, our brains become wired a certain way. Paul writes in Romans, he says, the sin issue I have in my life, why do I keep doing the things I'm not supposed to do and the things I'm supposed to do, I don't do those things. Right? And he has this whole conversation with himself in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 7. Check it out. And you see the tension. Why? Because he's been trained to think a certain way. And just saying stop it to someone who is dealing with temptation and dealing with sin and caught up in addiction, right? It doesn't help. In fact, it makes things worse. Because it fires off a whole set of triggers neurologically in their brain that pushes them back to the sin and pulls them away from it. God has designed us, he has created us. The Bible says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. When I say that God has given us the tools we need to live righteously, I'm talking about every part of who we are, even physically, neurologically. All right, you had no idea where we were going to go here this morning, but I believe that contained in this understanding is one of the keys to breakthrough when it comes to dealing with temptation. See, because I grew up in church, and my whole life I battled with things that I just told myself, just stop it, Barry, stop it. You know the Word of God. You just need to stop, 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 stop. And I heaped calm down. I didn't need, even need other people to do it. I just did it to myself. Just stop it. Why can't I stop? Oh, I want to stop. Why do I do the things I'm not supposed to do and the things I'm supposed to do? I don't do those, and I'm just going back and forth. Oh, the sin inside of me. Paul says, God, get rid of the iniquity. We need a paradigm shift. We need a paradigm shift. Paradigm is a framework through which we see the world. It's the lens that I use that I understand the world around me. And maybe you've heard that term. When we say we need a paradigm shift, what I'm basically saying is we need to repent. See, but even that word repentance... As believers and as a culture, even as, as those outside of the church, what's our idea when I say repent? What do you think of, right? It's the dude at the football game with the, the wig and the sign, you know, right? John three sixteen, repent, sinners kind of thing. And it becomes that repentance that I beat you 
over the head. Repent from your sin. Repent from your sin. Repent from your sin. Feel sorry for what you've done. And can I tell you this morning, that's not what repentance is. Repentance is not that at all. In fact, the Bible says that sorrow, godly sorrow, leads to repentance. Repentance isn't being sorry, right? Repentance is not being sorry. Repentance is not changing your behavior. How many of you heard this? You need to repent. Repentance is I'm walking this way, and repentance is I change and I start walking that way. Who's heard that in your life? I've preached it. I can't tell you how many times I've preached that, and it is wrong. And I believe that when we say these things without understanding the heart behind Scripture and the fullness of what God has designed in us, we miss the mark. See, repentance is not the club to beat people over the head with. That's why we have the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin, right? You don't have to. Can I just let you off the hook? You don't have to convict your neighbor of their sin and convince them that they're a sinner. They've got the Holy Spirit to do that. You get to love them. You get to love the people in your life that you know, man, your life is way off track. And if you can't think of someone, maybe you're them. (laughs) And someone needs to love you. But thank God that Jesus loved us first and we can love him. Why? Because he first loved us us we need a paradigm shift we need to change the way we think and i want to share some passages to that end this morning so it's not just my ideas i want to tie these things i'm telling you church if you take these things to heart when you read scripture it will unlock things in scripture that you've not seen before i guarantee it because it's done it for me Acts chapter 17, few passages that you need to, to have ready to turn to in your Bible. They'll be up on the screen, but if you want to have them in your Bible. Acts 17, Romans 12, and then, uh, and then later on we're going to end up... I didn't write it down. Ah, uh, 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. I'll have a few other passages along the way, but these are going to be the three. Romans 12 will actually be kind of our anchor passage for this morning. When I say we need a paradigm shift, Paul has an encounter in the city of Athens. He's now found Jesus. The Lord has transformed his life. He's still going through this process. How do we know? Read the book of Romans. Paul's like, I am, I am the chief sinner amongst the sinners. He recognizes the closer he gets to Jesus, the more work there is to be done. All right, so Paul's not like, he even says, not that I've already attained these things, but I keep pressing on. Why? Because my mind needs to be changed. But he finds himself in Athens, and he's hanging out, waiting for his, his friends to show up, and he's just observing the culture. And this is what he says and he, he, as he starts speaking to the Greeks. He says this, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that, be, that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. So, so he's in a place where there's idols. The Greeks loved their idols and they had gods for everything. Everything. There was the God of wind and the God of fire and the God of the moon and the God of love and the God of the... Gods for everything. And he's addressing them because they have a, an altar, an idol, an altar set up to the, God, the unknown God. And he's speaking to them about this unknown God. He says, I know this God. In the past, he says, God overlooked such ignorance why because you don't know what you don't know but now he commands all people everywhere to repent for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed he has given proof of this to all men by raising jesus raising him jesus from the dead he uses the word repentance the word metaneo What it literally means is to change your mind, to change your thinking, to start engaging with new synapses and new processes of thinking and unlearning things that need to be unlearned. See, because he identified in in Athens a paradigm. They saw the world through the lens of, we need a God for everything. And he's saying, 
You have to change your thinking. You can't think this way anymore because there's only one God and he will judge the world through his son, Jesus Christ. And so if you allow yourself to keep thinking that there's many gods, you will miss the one God. And so you have to change, you have to repent and change the way you think so you don't miss him. They needed a paradigm shift. We need a paradigm shift. I mentioned last week that everyone deals with temptation. Every single one of us. Not the same temptations. We all deal with different things. But the enemy knows where our weaknesses are and that's where he hits us over and over and over again. But I'll tell you this. In the world we live in, there are some prevailing things that we deal with. In our culture, money is one of those. Sex is definitely one of those. And then this one called narcissism, the worship of self. In fact, Narcissus was a Greek god. He would have been one of the gods that Paul recognized in Athens. He's the god who looked at himself in the mirror. He had a mirror and all he did was look at himself, consumed with self. That in our culture and in our climate, the worship of self is so prevalent Spend five minutes on the internet, and you, you'll see that it's true, right? Why is Facebook, why is Twitter, why is uh, Instagram, why are these things, why is the term selfie even, right? Because we, we, we have been trained and shaped to worship self. It's about self. These three areas, money, sex, and self, are the things that in our world, in our spiritual climate, if Paul was here today looking out, he'd say, listen, We need a change. We need to shift our focus from these things. Now, the cool thing is, is that a lot of the epistles are written, and and Paul addresses some of those same issues. He talks about money. He talks about sex, doesn't he? Quite a bit. That some of those things that are part of who we are just since creation, that the enemy distorts, they're, they're there, and they're powerful. And so we need to shape and change our thinking. And in this area of, of self, worshiping self, I think Paul would say to us, you need to turn your eyes off of yourself and get your eyes focused on God. You need to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith, right? This is where your eyes need to be set. Church, we need a paradigm shift. And I'm not talking about outside of the church. I'm talking about inside the church. We need to change how we think and how we understand, how we respond. We need to get rid of the bias We need to get rid of the bias, the synapses that have been ingrained into our lives, either through through things that have happened happened to us, things that we've learned along the way, and things that we've picked up in church that haven't checked out, been checked out against Scripture, so that we can see God for who He is and what He's calling us to. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? So, how? How? Romans chapter 12. As I understood these things about the, our thinking and our paradigms and even our synapses and our, our, our neurological pathways, Romans chapter 12 opened up in a whole new light. So thinking about the fact that God says that I want to transform your mind, listen to what Paul says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy... Why does he say that? I think because the propensity then was to use repentance in the same way. Turn or burn, right? I'm going to beat you. I'm going to beat you into submission. I'm going to beat you into obedience. God says, no, 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 I'm a merciful God. I'm a merciful God. And I would rather draw you to me than drive you to me. I would rather draw you to me than have you be driven to me. In view of God's mercies to offer your bodies as loving sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Why offer your bodies? Why? Because every part of who I am belongs to him, including my mind. That when I surrender control of my brain, of my mind, of my reasoning power to him, that he can do something amazing. But see, some people come to the Lord and say, God, I'm going to give you my life, but just part of my life. And there's parts I'm going to hang on to. And God says, no, if you do that, you're, 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 right? you're duplicitous in your thinking. You're double-minded. And God says, you can't live that way. 
It's all or nothing. Why? Because I want to do something amazing in you, but I need to have control. Come in and tinker and tweak and fix the things I need to fix. Right? I said last week that we can't manage our sin. We're not supposed to try and manage our sin. See, but what happens is when I try and live better without correcting the iniquity, I'm managing my sin. I'm just driving it internally, not in somehow looks like I'm dealing with the external. And God's like, deal with the heart. Deal with the heart. And then get back to the scripture. And he says this, do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, the paradigm of the world, the way the world thinks. Don't conform to that. But be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Say new synapses, right? New synapses. The renewing of your mind is literally God saying, I am going to fire off new synapses and create new neural pathways in your brain that will be stronger and better than the things that were there before. See, because why? The old has gone and the new has come, right? It means something completely different when you understand that God is doing a physiological, chemical, electrical work in your body to make you a new creation. Come on, that's awesome. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. When these things are in order, God, I surrender myself to you. I submit myself to to the process of my mind being renewed because when my mind is renewed and I'm, I'm resisting and walking away from the pattern and the way of thinking that this world has and I put on my Jesus glasses and I say, I'm gonna see the world through the eyes of Jesus It's at that place, then I start being able to say, wow, that's the will of God. Man, that's where God is moving. Look at what God is doing in this person's life. Look at the opportunities here and there. And how many people, maybe in this room and just in general, in the church, have wrestled with, oh, what is God's will? Oh, what's God's will for my life? How many messages and sermons have been preached? What is God's will? You want to know what God's will is, deal with the iniquity in your heart and allow your mind to be transformed. Then it stops being a question. You just go, oh, that's God's will, and that's God's will, and that's definitely not God's will. And it stops being this game of cat and mouse. God says, deal with the first things first. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't conform. I have a good friend who's a pastor who when he was in his teens and 20s got hooked on drugs. Um, and, it, and, and when I say he got hooked on drugs, it wasn't a drug. If you, na- you can name it, he was hooked on it. And he pretty much blew out his brain on drugs. The doctors and psychiatrists had told him, listen, um, kind of your, your education level and where you're at is as good as it's going to get. And you will spend your life working just menial jobs, uh, you'll struggle with reading. You're going to struggle memorizing anything. Uh, you're just, this is it. This is it. We well, ended up meeting Jesus. And he fell in love with God's word. And through the process of reading the Bible, God healed him. God healed his mind. He now has a couple of master's degree. He has a doctorate. He's pastoring a church. He's written multiple books. And he's literally one of the smartest people I've met. Why? Because God can renew a broken mind. He can renew a broken mind. He can rebuild things that have been damaged, right? Because he's the healer. He, he designed the system so he can fix it. God says, I have something new. I've, I want to do something new in you. I, wanna, I, I, I know that there's a past. I know there's stuff. I know there's issues. I know there's hurts. There's pains and all of these things. I know there's things that you're struggling with even in the moment. But God says, I can fix it. I can do the work. There's nothing that's too difficult for me. But God is ready. He's ready. He's saying, well, I'm here. I want to do this work in you. Well, how do we respond? And this is where the practicals come in. This is why I said, I'm not just going to give you a couple of points. You go, okay, next, next time temptation pops up, you're like, oh, what did Pastor Barry say? Okay, number one, I've got to do this. No, it's not that. But once we have this understanding in place, then we need to understand what our response is. And so there's two things we need to do. 
First of all, we need to protect the internal. We need to guard and protect the internal. And then the second thing is we need to guard against the external. See, because James says that, that temptation happens when there's things in my own heart, sinful desire that, that comes up and, and I, I start looking for the opportunity. And he says, and, and when I give place to that desire, right, then, then I'm tempted. And then when I give in to the temptation, it becomes sin. And when sin is full grown, it leads to death. I made that statement last week. Sin always leads to death. Maybe not a physical death, but it will lead to the death of relationships. It will lead to the death of marriages. It will lead to broken uh, kids not talking to their parents anymore and vice versa, right? It will lead to, to death in your finances, in your, your sense of community. It will lead to death in the church. When Achan sinned in the, in the Israelite camp, right? They said there's sin in the camp. And we've got, to, we've got to make this right. Why? Because sin leads to death. And so we have to deal with these things. But it starts in the heart. And so we need to protect the internal by doing three things. We need to guard our hearts. We have to guard our hearts. See, because if iniquity is the thing that's the motivation, it's the place inside of me that's pushing me towards transgression, I need to deal with the iniquity. And if iniquity is born out of my heart, I need to make sure that my heart is pure before the Lord. Proverbs 4.20-27 through 27 says this, My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Ah, okay, that's your brain. Hide God's word in your heart. It will make your brain better. God knew. All right, sorry. <laughs> Above all else, guard your heart. Why? It is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and, and take uh, only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the left or the right. Keep your foot from evil. All right, but it starts with the heart. God, do a work in my heart. Keep these words of yours. This is not about memorizing Scripture. Uh, though it's a good discipline. But knowing Scripture isn't enough. I have to allow it to transform me, to sink into the heart. See, there's a process. God says, this is, when I read the words, it's just informational. But when I allow it to seep into my heart, it becomes transformational. It does a transforming work in me. And then when I live it out, it's incarnational. I start looking more like Jesus. But a lot of us stop with the informational part and we read the Bible like a textbook. And I challenge you, don't read the Bible, let the Bible read you. Don't read the Bible, let the Bible read you. Let it expose your heart, let it expose your motives, let it expose your iniquity so that God can do a transforming work in your life. Psalm 119, verse 9 through 11, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? That I might not have iniquity against you. That I might not sin against you. God, do a work in my heart. We need to learn to guard our hearts. Second thing is renew your mind. I won't read the passage again, but we just read Romans 12. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But what? Allow your mind to be renewed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to choose to learn a different way of thinking. And it's a daily, daily, daily battle. It's not going to be easier tomorrow. But, but that doesn't mean we don't go there. Say, Lord, transform my mind. Transform my mind. Transform my mind. Now, here's the reality. We've heard the saying, garbage in, garbage out. Your mind will not be transformed 
binge-watching episodes of whatever show on, on Amazon or Netflix. And I'm right there. The Lord, like, man, he's been, like, just spanking me over this stuff. Because there's some shows, I'm like, oh, that's a great show. It's not even, like, sinful or bad. or it's, it's a funny show. And God's like, yeah, but is it transforming your mind? Or is it the pattern of this world? See, because even subtly hidden in there are the things, the, the ways of thinking in this world that's just reinforcing those neural pathways. I'm sitting there on the couch, right? Just, but those images, those stimuli are going into my eyes, into my brain, through my ears, and those synapses are firing. And if they're not the synapses that God says are, are leading to transformation, it means it's holding me back. Because every time those things fire, they're strengthened. The more a synapse fires, the stronger it gets, right? Those memories, there's memories that you have that you can recall just like that. Why? Because that synapse, we'll be talking about our kids, and Megan's like, hey, do you remember when Michael was born and this and this and this? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I mean, I remember that he was born. And I know I was there. See, but for her... Right, because of of the encounter and the, the the process it was for her, she had a very different experience to what I did, and different synapses. You guys tracking? Different synapses were triggered. She spent more time thinking about those things, and and I just didn't. I was like, oh, man, this sandwich is really good, right? <laughs> different synapses, and so as we fire those things, <laughs> all right. As we fire the synapses, even passively, when I'm watching TV, those things are being triggered. And don't you, don't you think for a second that the enemy won't capitalize on the opportunity to reinforce something that doesn't bring glory and honor to God? So it's not just about, hey, don't step off the cliff. It's about saying, Lord, let me put a filter here so I know that I'm not just... If I'm not in the Word like I'm supposed to be in the Word, and this is not a, read your Bible, read your Bible, come on, right? This is, this is transformational. Being in the Word will transform your mind. It will transform your thinking. So renew your mind. you got to do it. You can't renew your body if you don't go to the gym or do some sit-ups. You just can't. Again, I'm preaching it myself, Right? You can't watch P90X videos and think you're going to get in shape, right? With Coke and popcorn, man, that's really good. It's not going to happen. God says you you got to get off the couch and do something. And then train yourself for godliness. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Why? Because they do things to your brain that aren't good. Right? I, I can't help but read, Godless myths and old wives' tales are words that come in and fire off neural pathways in my brain. And now they're in there. And God says, don't have anything to do with it. Someone starts going down a road and you're like, that's just weird. Don't engage. Guard yourself, train yourself to recognize, man, that's not of the Lord. I'm sorry, I can't be a part of that conversation. Is it rude? Maybe, but who cares? This is your brain we're talking about. That you have to protect that part of who you are so you can train yourself. An athlete who wants to run a race, you're going to do the Ironman. You don't show up in Kona on the day of the race and go, okay, I'm ready. What do I need to do to get ready for this race? They're going to laugh at you. Might as well just go get right into the ambulance and save time. <laughs> the training for that race starts years before you ever show up on race day. God says, train yourself. You want to be, you want to run this race and run it well? Start training yourself. Paul says, I beat my body, I'm making my slave. Don't do, have anything to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Put in the time where physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Why? Because it becomes your new paradigm, holding promise for both the present life, and check it out, for the life to come. 
that the things that you invest into your heart and into your mind and the way you allow God to transform you will last for eternity. It's an eternal investment. You can't go wrong. And then finally, guard against the external. We've got to deal with the sin in us. We've got to deal with the iniquity. But the truth is we do have an enemy, a very real enemy called the tempter, who will come against us and he will hurl stones, he will throw fiery darts, Bible says. And so there are those things that are external and God says we need to deal with those things as well. So how do we do that? First is this, be where you're supposed to be. Listen to this, 2 Samuel 11. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. What happened next? He's on the roof of the house and he looks over and he sees a beautiful woman bathing. And he calls and says, send for her. And she comes and he sleeps with her. She ends up pregnant. Turns out she's married to a man named Uriah who happens to be where David's supposed to be fighting. David panics and calls Uriah back and he says, hey, hey, how's it going? Give me an update. Well, thanks for being here. But listen, um, you know, you've been working so hard. Go, go spend some time with your wife. Like, oh, I've got a scheme Fix my issue. And Uriah says, no way. He sleeps on the steps in the, at the door of his house. And he says, why would I sleep in my bed with my wife when my men are out in the field? And he takes the stance that David should have had. And so David comes up with a scheme, gets him drunk, tries to get him to sleep with his wife because he's drunk. And finally, he sends Uriah back and he sends him with a note that says, to the generals, put him at the front of the fight and put, do a full-on assault, and Uriah dies. David takes Bathsheba as his wife, and the baby is born. And in Chronicles, we read about the prophet Nathan coming to David, and he, he tells him a story about a man who steals another man's lamb. And David is incensed, he's enraged, and Nathan calls him out, and he says, you're that man. And here's the thing. I said last week, sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. Right? Sin always leads to more sin. It always leads to more sin. David is one of the most righteous men in the Bible. Yet, at this moment, there's this whole sequence of event that takes place. Why, yeah, there was other things, I'm sure, going on in his heart. But at the very least, David wasn't where he was supposed to be. In the spring, when kings go to war, David was in Jerusalem. Can I just tell you, one of the biggest things you can do to keep yourself away from temptation is don't go to places where there's temptation because you can't handle it. I don't care who you are. You can be the Arnold Schwarzenegger spiritually of the Christian world. Why is it we hear of leaders of mega churches and organizations come crashing and falling because they go to places they're not supposed to be? Lord, keep my feet from walking into evil. Let me stay where I'm supposed to stay. Joseph, when Potiphar's wife approaches him, what does he do? He runs away. Why? Because he recognizes that it's not where he needs to be and he wasn't going to be able to manage this situation. So he got out. Good on him. But how many people go, I got this. I, it's okay. I can deal with I can go to that place. I can be around that person. I can have those conversations because I've got this thing under control. You're already too far gone. It's already too late. Pure Desire, a ministry led by a man named Ted Roberts, a pastor named Ted Roberts, talks about uh, spiritual wholeness. And so, I know some of you are familiar with Pure Desire. He talks about the fact that there's indicators for someone who's dealing with sexual sin. That there are indicators they know seven or eight steps before they ever commit a trespass, that they know they're already on their way there. Because the, the synapses start firing. In fact, Ted Roberts has gone back to school and he's studying neuroscience to more fully understand the effects of addictive behavior. 
on the human being and making those connects between the spiritual and the physical. It's important. If you allow yourself, if you give yourself permission to go somewhere you're not supposed to be, you're already losing the battle. Be where you're supposed to be. If you're married and there's someone you look forward to spending time with who's not your spouse and they're of an opposite sex, that's not where you're supposed to be. And if it means you've got to move out of state to get away from that, can I just tell you right now, move out of state. In all seriousness, be like Joseph for the sake of your marriage. Run. It's not cowardice, it's wisdom. Because you can't handle it. How do I know this? We just have to look at the divorce rate inside the church. Be where you're supposed to be. And don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying you better be in church, though this is a good place to be. This isn't about church. The great thing is I don't even have to say much more because I think for each of us we know what that means. And if there's a tension right now, can I just speak? That's not tension, that's the Holy Spirit saying, you've got to make a change. You've got to make a change. Be where you're supposed to be. Second is this, guard your eyes. Matthew five twenty-seven through 29. You have heard it said, Jesus says, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Where? Heart not his mind, and he defiles his heart, the place that God says that you need to keep pure. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus was serious about this. Guard your eyes. What you see. Right? We used to sing in preschool, careful little eyes what you see. Right? But we forget as adults because we think, I got this. I, got, I, I can handle it. I can handle it just a bit. It, it won't affect me. Yes, it will. It does. <laughs> like Bob Newhart, just stop it. But not from me, from the Lord saying, that's not what I have for you. Set a guard around your eyes. Why? Because you can't let those things in. You can't let those things in. Guard your ears. Proverbs 18.8. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts, his heart. That when words are flying around, oh, they they sound good, it's succulent, it's fun to to talk about someone or to gossip. God says, no, it messes up your heart. Guard your ears. Be careful what you listen to. And then finally, seek out accountability. Seek out accountability. Can I just tell you right now, Tom, would you come up for a second? This isn't what I'm talking about. Guys, I, I won't speak to the ladies. You can gather from this what you need to. I imagine it's similar or could be similar. But from my experience with guys in accountability, usually this is what it looks like. So we're in an accountability group, and I'm like, hey, Tom, I need you to hold me accountable. And so Tom goes, you know, he's like, so how are you doing? I'm like, oh, man, well, you know, I had a... I had a couple of lustful thoughts, and I just kind of struggled. And, and a lot of guys' groups end up being this. Well, come on, man, you can do better, all right? Just, you can do better than that. Okay, all right. Did that help me at all? See, what I need Tom to do is, brother, you are going to lose your marriage. You're gonna, your life is going to go down the toilet. You need to knock it off. You need to stop being a knucklehead. I'm calling you out, and if you don't get right, I'm going to have a conversation with your wife, Right? <laughs> Thank you, brother. Why? Because we do this mamby-pamby kind of accountability, like kind of keep me accountable, but not. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to hold me accountable, but I'm not really going to show you everything that's in my heart. I'm going to keep things for a rainy day. Seek out accountability. If these are the things you want in your life, go to someone and say, this is who I am. This is what I battle with. This is what I struggle with. Here's where my thought life leads me. Here's the things I've acted out on. I need some help. And that's okay. In fact, it's necessary. See, one of the problems with David 
And the sin that happened in his life is that Jonathan wasn't around anymore. His brother, at least brother by blood, but his brother who hid his heart together, Jonathan was the guy who could speak into David's heart, into David's life and say, you're being an idiot. Knock it off. I had a pastor once up in Alaska, went up for prayer, it was a hard time in my life, and I went up and I was crying. I'm like, oh, blah, 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 and this and that, and my dad, my dad, my dad, and this pastor, he's just awesome. He starts poking me in the chest, dink, 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 and he looks at me. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck? And he goes, your problem isn't your dad, your problem is your sin. Deal with your sin. Well, that shut me up. Like, the tears stopped. I was like, you're right. It's not about blaming. It's about, Lord, let me deal with the things in my heart. Now, a little disclaimer here. Counseling is valuable. A lot of Christians buy into this lie that, man, once I'm a Christian and I'm in the church, that psychiatric or counseling kind of help. I, I don't need that. Jesus, Jesus is that. No. Can I just tell you there are some amazing Christian counselors and psychiatrists that if, if you are so far down a road that you're stuck, they can help you walk back to a place of healing. It's valuable. There's things that we walk through in our lives, abuses and struggles that we walk through, that we're not designed to just kind of pull ourselves out of the mud. That God has put people in our lives to help us. If you need help, talk to someone. If you don't know who to talk to, ask me. I'll direct you to people fully confidential. This is not about airing our laundry in front of the whole church. But this is about being a people of God who shift our thinking in such a way, say, God, I don't want to be who I used to be. I want to be a new creation. I want to be transformed. And if you need help, let's find you the help that you need. Let's have the conversations. But seek out accountability. Have people in your life. I love with David. And Nathan shows up, the prophet Nathan. And Nathan calls him out at great risk to his own neck. David was a king. And if he didn't like what Nathan was saying, he could have just said, hey, take that guy out. Take him out back. Cut off his head. But Nathan calls the king of Israel out on his sin. And what's the response? David is convicted of his sin, and he repents. He doesn't change his behavior. He changes his thinking. And he continues to, to serve as an amazing king. Seek out accountability. Have people in your life who can speak to the stuff directly. You know what I'm saying? And not beat around the bush. You need it. I need it. God has designed us for those kinds of relationships. Amen. There's more. I'm sure there's more. This, I feel like we're, we've covered a lot of ground today. And I think this is good. Take this home. Chew on it. If you need to listen to last week's message, do that. God has victory for us. You're the head, not the tail. God wouldn't put all of this truth in his word and tie all of these things together if he didn't love us. It's not like he was just, you know, had a giant director set and was like, yeah, let's just play with something and make it fun. Very intentional about how we're designed for his glory, for his honor. And he wants us to walk in wholeness and healing. Let's stand up together this morning. The prayer team is going to come up. Today would be a good day to pray with someone. If any part of what I spoke about this morning touched your heart, stirred your heart, the Holy Spirit was pulling and tugging, I, I, can I just tell you right now, the last thing you want to do is just walk out of those doors and think, okay, I've got to just process this by myself. Allow the fellowship of the saints, the people that God has put in your life to stand with you, to pray with you. I'm not saying you need to come up here and divulge everything to someone. It could just be, I need agreement so that I, I need to change the way that I think. Could you just pray with me and agree with me? These folks can be trusted. There are people in this room, Tom and Deb and others, who, if you want to pray with them, they'd love to pray with you. But do something. Take a step in the direction of healing and wholeness. Take a step in the direction of changing your thinking. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but say, God, change my paradigm. See, we need more repentance in the church. 
We need more repentance in the church. Not condemnation for our sin. Not, hey, you need to repent and change your behavior. Repentance being, we need to change the way we think about who we are and who God is and what He wants to accomplish. Father God, I thank You. Thank You, Lord, that You have given us everything we need for godliness and righteousness. Lord, that You are a loving Father that extends every good thing, every blessing to Your children. And so this morning, Lord, we receive from You everything that You have. Lord, change our thinking. Renew our minds. Bring healing. Father God, I pray right now that You would be bringing restoration, Lord, to synapses that need to go away and be quieted in Jesus' name. Minds that need to be restored. Patterns of thinking that lead to destruction. I pray against those in Jesus' mighty name. Bring healing. God, that we would walk fully in the freedom that you have for us. The freedom that was secured at Calvary. The freedom that was secured through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, the healing that came because Jesus' body was broken and beaten for us. That our minds could be healed. Do that work in us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Guard our hearts. Guard our eyes. Guard our ears. Help us to train well. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.